Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My name is Brenton Ford, and today's podcast guest is Jerry Rodriguez, and he's from Tower 26. If you've never heard of Tower 26, it's a very well-known swimming group out of Santa Monica in the US. And I've had a number of friends go to the US, swim with Jerry's group, and uh, and tell me how much they enjoyed it and what a great culture uh, and fantastic group of, uh, of athletes he's got there. So um, Tower 26 is mostly triathletes. Um, Jerry runs a number of sessions over there in Santa Monica. Uh, but more than that, he, he was a fantastic guest on today's podcast. Uh, we have very similar philosophy, philosophies when it comes to teaching swimming and the way we like to analyze technique, the way we approach uh, workouts and structuring programs for swimmers. Uh, and, but I think it's really good to get his take and, and his wording on a lot of the, uh, the things that he takes his athletes through. So let's get into the podcast. Here's Joe discussing the difference between training a swimmer versus training a triathlete. Well, swimmers, let's take Clayton Fattel, who I don't know personally, but certainly know his background. Let's take Andy Potts, a name that many people would know in the triathlon space. They're outliers. They have swim backgrounds. These are terrific athletes. What they would do in a training session would really not have much of an application to anybody else. Um, and they, they've put in those 20 to 30 hours a week of swimming for a number of years. The average person who's getting into triathlon, even if they aspired to be a pro or even the, presently the pros that we have, if they didn't have swim backgrounds or extensive swim backgrounds, we're trying to extract the most from them in a very concentrated period of time. We don't have the luxury of 20 or 25 hours a week. We've got to get that done in two to 10 hours a week. So we try to hit the highlights or, or the highlights as I see them as the needs for a triathlete, which is really what are the needs for an open water swimmer, given that they have to hop in their bike and then run after that. Because an open water swimmer, we could try training them like an open water swimmer, which is swimming a 10K race at the Olympics, but those guys are not getting out of the water and then hopping on a bike for 100 miles or running a marathon after so there are some differences. So we try to identify what those are and then um, then coach around it. So let's give some examples. There, there are three specific things. One would be, and the, the most important part of the platform, would be body tautness, the firmness of the structural presence of one's body. Seems simple. We walk pretty easily on land. We can run pretty well. We learn how to do it as little kids. But once we get into the water... It becomes very difficult to hold good structural presence. And the reason is rather simple. The majority of our body weight is displaced in the water. 92% of it's gone. So the, the, the 120, 130-pound female or the 150 to 170-pound male, it's, um, they weigh a lot less. It's very unfamiliar. And it takes a, a fair amount of time to adapt to this new body weight and therefore learn how to structurally hold ourselves properly in the water. So number one would be body presence or body tautness. Secondly would be what I would term alignment. How's the body set up in the water? Is it aligned very well? We have sort of very specific guidelines as to 
the position that we want our head and our feet and our hands. And once we're outside of those guidelines, I just used to, I like to use the word general stuff happens, just stuff. And stuff could be 20 different things. They're, they're, they're symptoms. And once we misalign, these symptoms occur. So rather than treating the symptoms, let's treat the cause. And the cause typically for many of these problems are misalignment. Mm. And then finally, the third bucket would be propulsion. Once the hand is in the water, what is it doing? What is it supposed to do? Is it generating propulsion? How do we generate propulsion? So I tend to distill it into three pretty simple things. I really like that approach, and that's that's very similar to how we approach it when we when we run our freestyle clinics. Is uh, we do we do video analysis there, and the first thing we look at is is the body on the side, uh, sorry, underwater on the side, uh, watching someone swim, and you, know, you can tell if they're not uh, firm through their their core and their body. You know, if their hips are snaking from side to side, or if there's a lot of arch in the back. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the first things you want to address, you know, as well as head position and all of that. And then when you look from the top of a swimmer, you know, we use the, the GoPros on a pole, uh, look at that above, and then you can, yeah, you can see that alignment. If someone's coming across their head as they enter, the hips will come out to the side, the legs will scissor kick, and it throws everything out of alignment. So if you can get that alignment right, uh, that just corrects a whole host of, of issues. And they might be doing eight different things wrong, but as soon as you bring that alignment into place, most of those those go away, and then you know, and then you're looking to build build up that uh, that feel for the water and that propulsion through what happens under the water with the uh, with the arms. So I think that's that's such a good approach to it. And in swimming, there's so much to think about that if you can just keep it very simple, that's the it's the best way to go about it because uh, you know too often swimmers will get you know four five different things of uh, you know, uh, bits of feedback, but it's too much to think about when you're when you're swimming, so um, when you are when you're running clinics or taking a, a technique class with your athletes, um, are they is that the order that you'll normally go through? That's a standardized order. I mean, we run a, a technical uh, period of time in our program at the end of the season to the beginning of the new season. So for the 2016 triathlon season, we would end off the 2016 and introduce the 2016 end off the 2015 season, excuse me, and introduce the 2016 season with, with pretty much a foundation of 10 to 12 weeks of uh, technical emphasis. And that's the order that we do it in. We spend the first three to four weeks on positioning of the body or tautness. We spend the next several weeks on alignment. And right now we're spending the last few weeks on propulsion. And we can get into a lot of details and we can super complicate swimming because it is complicated just as we could take a golf swim, swing stroke and break it down into a million different components. Um, but I tend to want to simplify things. Um, the arm stroke, for instance, and the propulsive face on the water, we can break that down into five or six different parts, but it's only taken the athlete about a second or less than a second to execute I'm not sure they're able to absorb five or six different things, nor do I think it's actually in their best interest initially to try to teach five or six different things when there's one second only to execute it. Mm. So I try to keep it as simple as possible. And you know this, Brendan, it's um, 
there are a lot of very, since you were a swimmer, there are a lot of very, very good swimmers that have had some major technical flaws. Yeah. <laughs> so if technique, if complete perfection and technique is the holy grail, then those swimmers wouldn't have made their Olympic teams. And that's, so, uh, sorry, technique is super important, but it's not the only piece of the uh, of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll talk about those talk about those now. And you know, my my approach when I'm coaching triathletes or you know swimmers for that for that matter as well is, um, you know, there's there's a lot more than than just goes into it than technique. Uh, you know, you've got your your fitness and you've got the workout plan that you follow. You you also need a certain amount of mobility, flexibility, um, as well as some general swim strength. So, um, how do you? What are the, I guess the what are the, the key fundamentals to um, to building a good triathlete or a good triathlete triathlete in the water? Um, what are some of the aspects that you look at outside of technique? Let's look at this through the the lens of, from the perspective of the average triathlete is spending maybe two hours a week swimming and the pro may go up to five to 10 hours a week, depending on how, how much assistance they need it to improve their swimming. It's still a small amount of time relative to a swimmer who's spending 20 to 30 hours a week swimming. So now we have to ask the question, how do we get the best return on time investment? If we only have so much time, what are the essential guidelines for the triathlete? So for me, our focus at Tower 26 is on four things. And this is not in any particular order. In fact, the order would change or would vary depending on where the athlete is in their, pro their progression or their development, okay, their experience. So number one. For most athletes, triathletes trying to improve their swimming, it's an increase in training volume. Most of them swim too little. Number two, it's an increase in on enhancement in their swimming mechanics. Number three, the proper training prescription. I think many have the wrong or improper or not the most effective training protocols. What are they actually doing in the sessions? What's the composition of the workout? And are they doing the proper workouts at the pr proper time of the season? And number four to me is a sort of an interesting one. It's super important, um, especially for athletes who, who, uh, who either don't have coaches or who have remote coaches. There needs to be a, a fair amount of accountability and a whole lot of presence in their sessions. So, Let's start with, with that last one. Well, what does that mean? Well, many triathletes are still self-coached. Therefore, their accountability is just to themselves <laughs> or perhaps their significant other or somebody or girlfriend that they're training with. It's a pretty low accountability factor. We tend to have better performances when we have somebody that we're fully accountable to. We know that we have a coach and we know that coach is looking out for our best interest And we want to perform well for ourselves, but we also want to perform well for our coach because he or she's putting a lot of investment into us. So I think accountability is a huge factor. 
Presence is another one, and I've given talks just on this little topic alone, so I'll, I'll nutshell it down with an example. Triathletes are too fixated on their garments. And it's press that button, stop that button, make sure that I'm get, collecting all this data, and it becomes more about the button, pressing and pushing and collection of data rather than actually being fully aware and present in their session. So at times I have athletes take off their garments. They're not allowed to wear them until I get the sense that they're fully engaged in the session. Let's say we're swimming five times 100 repeats. Simple example. Many of them don't know what time they're swimming because they're just pressing a button and pushing a button and they're looking at the times at the end of the day when they download their data three or four or five hours later. Well, there's very little presence there. So I think being fully present in the session coupled with the accountability is a really important bucket for the non-coached athlete and for many triathletes that don't have their don't don't have a coach that's geographically present meaning they don't have a location based coach so they're they're, they're coached remotely so that's the, the last one we can pick any one of the other three if you want to dive into those that's uh yeah that's good especially the I see it all the time with with triathletes on on their watches. It um, it's probably one of my pet peeves as a coach is there's just um, when yeah when you're pressing that button all the time you're just not looking at at the clock at what time you're going. You're not worried as much about your feel for the water and also your your feel for the pacing and the effort that you're putting in. And I th- yeah I find that's where that's just where that uh, that swim sense or that familiarity with the you know, with the water and how you're going, it's uh, that's where it gets lost. Is when you're too concerned about hitting the button when you come in after each hundred or two hundred. So, uh, yeah, I've, I'm of a very similar mindset when it comes to to tracking swim workouts. It should be more about just um, kind of switch, switching off from the the watch and just getting getting that feel for for how you're actually tracking in in the workout and reading reading off the the stop clock uh, and yeah. and seeing how you're going with your times. You need full presence. You only have two or three hours a week, period. You need to be able to extract the most from those sessions. Mm. And, and, and to be able to get, get a feel for the pace that you're going to. So, you know, if you're, let's say you're doing 2100s and they're at, at threshold or they're, they're close to race race effort, you know, if you can do that in the pool, you can see what, what time you're going and then if you can get a feel for that kind of pacing and transition that into the open water, into your race, then you're going to be much, much better off and you're going to know how hard you're going for the, for the speed that you're going in a race. So that's, that's the best way to get yourself race ready as opposed to having no idea what sort of effort you need to put in to hold a, a certain time. So that, yeah, that presence that you, that you mentioned is, uh, is just so important for swimming and, and that's, yeah, where where I see a lot of triathletes uh, just kind of miss out, or you know, they're, they're missing one of the the key components of, of becoming a good swimmer. And you know, Brenton, this is um, it's good to practice here while swimming or any other parts of your training because it carries over into the other aspects of your life. You know, a perfect example at the dinner table, my kids can't have their mobile phones because dinner is about 
discussing the day's events, what happened, what we're going to do tomorrow, whatever it may be. The moment you're on your phone and you're texting and you're talking, well, you're not present at dinner. Uh, so going out to the, the same example, you go out to go to get dinner with the, your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you know, your husband or your wife, and they're trying to tell you how their day went, and you're there answering a text or sending a text. Well, that doesn't feel so good, huh? Mm. So it's an opportunity to be able to dive in and learn to be fully present when uh, when you're doing something. Mm. Uh, I think it goes even further than that. Uh, someone who I had on the podcast, Andrew Reid, he, uh, he's a strength and conditioning coach, and he mentioned this a few weeks ago. It was basically that your family, your friends, they don't really care if you put in a little bit more effort on this on your last 100 or if you do an extra set uh, on top of what you're doing. They don't really care about those little things that happen in training, but it's more about the person you become because of doing that. So what you actually what you actually put yourself through in training and um yeah and the way you persist and the uh you know and and the way you i guess hurt yourself uh in training or work hard that comes through in the other aspects of your life from from work to uh to family and uh, and everything else so the way you tend to do one thing is how you do most things i find you're right as a coach we're building a person first then an athlete second then a triathlete third yeah, that's that's exactly right. And my my dad is a, a swim coach. Um, he he taught me growing up, and he, he still coaches back home. And um, just whenever whenever he has the younger kids, when he starts with them, the very first thing he teaches them is to say hello, goodbye, and thank you. And yep. and you know, a lot of times kids don't get taught that these days. They don't get taught those basic um, those basic manners, and especially that the presence that you mentioned. That's uh, that's something that's very hard to get back when someone's used to staring at a, a phone, an iPad or the TV, uh, you know, for four or five hours a day. So to be able to get that presence and teach those manners and just those basic things that you need to be a, a good person, uh, to be able to get that from swimming is, uh, is something that I think is really special about sport and, and swimming in particular. Agreed. I want to dive into the, the third uh, thing you brought up. So what people are doing in there their workouts what are um what are if someone's doing three swims a week let's say there's triathlete three swims a week what would they consist of if let's say someone who might be two or three years into the sport what type of workouts are you giving them across three sessions for the week i think in general it appears that many training plans tend to take those three sessions and sort of bucket them into a threshold session, perhaps even a recovery session, and maybe a super high-intensity session. I just made up three things as an example. I tend to not follow that prescription because I come back to the overarching premise of what are we trying to achieve here? What we're trying to achieve is typically absolute performance in a, a extract absolute performance from a very short period of time, a very small amount of time, two to three hours a week, trying to get the best performance. So I think the way to achieve that is each and every session needs to have all of the above 
recovery and power and endurance and all the threshold, all the pieces, if it's only two or three sessions a week. If we're looking at four, five, or six sessions a week, that formula may change. But at two sessions a week or perhaps three, each session is a blended session. You don't have the luxury of, of bucketing each one of those into a separate session. I just don't think you can. Not for the most optimal performance. At least that's my experience from 30-plus years of doing this. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And uh, what... Um how how do you look at it? Do you look at a session in terms of uh, are you looking at how much distance they've covered as one aspect of it or are you more just interested in them getting what they need to get done in terms of those different components of a workout? Well, how about I give an example, which is an example I've written about and, and interviewed in the past with so I, I stay consistent with it. At the elite end, we may do a set of four times 1,000, four times 1K swims. So at the, let's say that's a, for a 48 to 52-minute Ironman athlete. And then for the 53 to one hour, it may be four 900s. And the one hour to the 106, it may be four 800s. And the 106 to the 115, maybe four 700s. And you get the idea. By the time you get down to your two-hour Ironman athlete, it may be four times 500. So it's four sessions, four for, um, in this example, for 1,000s, and let's stick with 1,000s because it's just an easy number to work with. The first one, we'll pull it, and we'll, uh, we'll progress it one through four, and we'll break it up into 250s, four 250s, pulling, progress effort one to four. And by the way, when we pull, every single time we pull, it's always technical. The emphasis on pulling is about on proper mechanics. Uh, and we go through what proper mechanics means to us for a triathlete. So they have some progression one to four. So that's a moving heart rate along and moving through the different training zones. The second one, we'll break it into 100s. We'll go 10 100s and we'll do that more threshold, race pace swimming. 10 100s on a 115 interval, 120 interval, 125, 130, 150, whatever your interval may be, uh, giving you five to 10 seconds rest at race pace. Number three, we'll come back and pull again. And this time we'll use it as recovery. So we'll lower heart rate, we'll get some recovery in, but we're still working on mechanics. And mechanics, hugely, because we have certain pieces of equipment that we use during our pulling sets. And then number four, the final one, we'll come back and go 10 100s again. And this time we'll push the interval up to uh, 30, 40 seconds rest, 45 seconds rest between each 100. And we'll press these out at um, max sustainable effort. So I know we can go max effort on number one, but we may not be able to sustain that after two or three. So it's I call it maximum sustainable effort. <clears throat> so we're working on a whole bunch of different systems in a set like that. It's got recovery built in. It's got baseline training built in. It's got power built in. It's got speed built in. It's got threshold built in. I've covered all the. All, we've touched on a lot of the lot of the the the, the bases needed for for training all in one session. It's a key, key foundational session. During the training phase, this may not be a session we, we would do during a race, part of the racing season. Or if we did it, would the complexion of that set would look a little bit differently. It would have more specificity to racing in it. But this would be a good foundational session to use uh, in the early part, of, early part of the season. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's good. And so that, they're the sort of workouts that you run with with your squad, uh, well, depending on the time of year, I guess, but they're the yeah, sort of sessions you'd normally do. Yeah, would be done. We may do a set such as let's make something up, uh, uh, eight four hundreds. Now again, eight four hundreds for the faster athlete, eight three fifties, eight three hundreds, eight two fifties, eight two hundreds, whatever it may be for the you know as you go down in ability level. But those eight four hundreds may look very will be done very differently at the beginning of the season as they would be done in the middle of the season as they would be done during the heart of the racing season. We're doing the same 800s, but the complexion of the 800 would vary depending on the time of the season. Mm. And leading into race season, what sort of changes do you w- would you see in those those workouts? Would you be they become them- they become very extremely race specific? So we have to ask the question. Remember, we come back to the overarching premise: What are we trying to achieve? Absolute performance with a shortened with shortened training opportunities. We have two or three hours a week to swim, and we're looking for the best performance we can. We don't have the 20 or 25 hours a week now. So how do we extract the most? Well, during racing season, we'd have to look at what are the demands of the race. Well, the demands of the race are, we just broke it down into, for the purpose of this discussion, two or three components. Takeout speed, familiarity with with positioning, drafting, sighting, all these types of things, right? And transition, being able to transition out of the water and get to your bike. Sounds simple. It's not a big deal. Why why are you working on that? That's only 30 seconds, a minute of your race. Well, how many times do you get out of the swim and you stand up and you take the first four steps and your heart feels like it's in your mouth? (laughs) Your, Your heart rate's completely blown up. Well, unless we practice that, we're not able to manage it carefully enough. We can actually get some better performance if we practice these things. So what does that mean? Well, at the particular, that particular time of the season, the racing season, those eight 400s, as in the example, maybe something like this. We may pull the odd ones, one, three, five, and seven, with, again, good mechanics and the certain equipment that we use. And then we would swim... Two, four, six, and eight—the uh, the even ones. But the swimming of the even ones would look like this: the athlete would dive in. Well, why do we dive in? You don't dive in in triathlons outside of ITU racing. Well, there's something about diving in that puts you in race simulation mode. When you have to dive into the pool, you immediately think, "Oh, I'm in a race type situation." Hmm. Well, so diving therefore simulates the beginning of your triathlon race, whether you're going to be walking in, running in, or, or having a water start, puts you in the mindset at the, of the beginning. So we dive in. We're going to swim the first 100 high heart rate. Become very uncomfortable. We'll have you sight. If it's a 25-meter pool, in the United States we use yard, yard pools, but meter pools for other countries. We have you sight two or three times every length two to three times every length on the, on the first 100. We may even have you dive in one second behind the person in front of you so you're right on their feet. You'll be swimming very fast that first 100. Then we'd settle in to a more sustainable effort for the middle 200. The next 
uh, eight lengths if it's a 25 meter pool. We may shut the siding down to one to two times per length rather than two to three. We'd still be in a drafting position or a pace line formation. And then the last 100 of the 400 would be fast again with more siding. And then at the completion of the swim, which is 16 lengths, if it's a short course pool or eight lengths, if it's a long course pool, the moment you hit the wall, you have to climb out. An immediate deck up and stand up. And in our case, sometimes we have them run around. We have them run for about 10 seconds. So we practiced just in that 400, race start, takeout speed, sighting, drafting, settling into sustainable pace, speed again at the finish, change of pace, deck up, high heart rate transition from audio swim to going towards your bike transition by running which jacks up heart rate another few percentage points again. Mm. So we bucketed in a lot of the things that the specific demands of a race all into 400 meters or 300 meters or whatever the distance is, the appropriate distance, all into about four to four and a half to five minutes. Mm. So after you do that, that's a high demand swim. That's why we come back after and typically do a pull recovery, good mechanics, recovery, and then we repeat that four rounds through for eight 400s. It's a pretty intensive session. But what does it have in it? A lot of simulation, race simulation, a lot of skill building, a lot of recovery, and a lot of technical, swim technical stuff for when we're pulling. So we have, again, hit a whole bunch of the aspects that are needed, what I think are needed for, what Tower 26 thinks are needed for a triathlete, given the overarching umbrella of, we only have two or three sessions a week and we're trying to get optimal performance. Mm. That's that's great. I really like that approach and it's very similar to how I like to uh, yeah, approach approach the swim sessions for, for my squad. And I, f- I find that especially, I mean, my, my background is pool swimming and uh, I coach a master squad and a lot of those guys come, they're ex-swimmers, um, but now they're sort of transitioning to, to open water. And the only way that they can get better at, at, at open water is practicing those things more and more, whether that be in the ocean or whether it's in the pool, practicing some pack, uh, some pack swimming, some drafting, um, that race simulation type of stuff. It's, uh, uh, you know, I've found that the ex-swimmers who have gone to open water, it's taken them one to two years to really get their head around the, the skills that are required to be good at, at open water. They might have the swim speed there, but that's half the battle when you're it's not it's not the full thing when you do go to the the ocean or the, or the lake. So um, yeah, squeezing all those uh, different aspects of the stroke in to a session like that, it's uh, just so good for the development of a of an athlete. So uh, that's proper uh, skill building and proper skill building and, and the, the, or the skill building needed for the demands of a triathlete, um, coupled with the right training protocols. So. Good skill building, the specific demands, sighting, drafting, takeout speed, all these things we just talked about, coupled with the appropriate training protocols, can make up for, are you ready for this? Two to three minutes per mile. So if you're doing an Ironman, there could be six to seven minutes of variance to be made up that you could be 
ended up being just as good as somebody six minutes faster than you, who is two minutes faster for 1,500 meters in the pool. And you and I know as swimmers, if somebody's faster than you in, by 30 seconds over 400 meters, well, they don't even belong in the same swimming pool that you belong in on race day. They won't even get into the swim meet. They wouldn't make the time standards to get into the swim meet, right? <laughs> so 30 seconds over 400 meters, 7, 8, 9, 10 seconds over 100 meters, it's night and day. But that could be made up as much as, um, certainly at a minimum, as much as four or five seconds can be made up per 100 with proper skills and proper training. Yeah, and, and I saw that on the weekend. We had our first open water race of the season, and one of the one of the guys in my squad who tends to go on the, the second lane, which is the, the slower lane, he beat all but one of the guys in the fast lane because he's got very good skills, yet he he will never swim in the fast lane because his swim speed is not there. So that's uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. So it's uh, yeah, as a triathlete, that's what you that's what you want to be able to find those extra you know those little gains but over an Ironman distance swim it makes such a huge difference yeah remember it's all a function of trying to extract the most we can give, give, give the most specific injection of opportunity in each training session given we have a very very small time budget within a week to get the best performance we only got those two or three hours a week or four or five or six for a pro. It's not that much relative to a swimmer. And Joe, you're based in Santa Monica. So you offer sessions there, but you also offer uh, some, I think, r- remote stuff and, uh, and online stuff. So where would you like people to go to find out more about Tower 26 and what you do? They can just go to our website, tower26.com. Excellent. And that's 26 is in the number 26. And uh, I'll put the links, uh, put the link to your website on our uh, website at effortlesswimming.com. And uh, Jerry, it's been really good having you on. Of uh, It's been yeah great chatting with you and hearing your philosophy um, on swimming and, and the way you like to approach it. I, I really enjoy having coaches on um, to to share their experiences and, and the way they, they like to look at swimming and um, I feel like we're in a we're very similar in the way we we approach it, and you've got uh, such a such a vast experience of of coaching and swimming, and um, I think we coach very similar athletes in terms. Of it's mostly triathletes, um, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic having you share your your knowledge with everyone, and uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you for for being on. Oh, you're very welcome. Best of uh, best of luck to you, and best of luck to everyone that's listening. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.